Welcome to Stories from the First Watch. This is both a solo role-playing game and an experiment in audio storytelling. The story and the character's actions will unfold upon the roll of the dice. Once the game starts, nothing is predetermined. The dice are in control. Two months ago, the sun blazed down mercilessly from the bright blue sky, heating the dry, stony valley like an oven. This part of the Jankeen steppe, in the far south of the provinces, was notoriously hot even this early in the year, and though spring had only just got underway, the border guards were already sweating heavily in their leather armour. They stumbled back into the merciful shade offered by the colonnade arches at the base of Fort Jankeen. Cursing at the heat and splashing their heads with cold water, which they gulped down like dogs. The great watchtower loomed above them, tens of stories high. It offered a commanding view over the surrounding valley that bifurcated the imposing mountain range. The view allowed the border guards to survey many miles of this sparse, unforgiving area. That was currently Almanda's main problem. The tall man joined his fellow soldiers at the water trough, smoothing down his bristly hair with water. Then he strode into the barracks to be relieved of his shift. He walked with relief into the locker room and sighed as he finally removed his armour. He stepped into the baths and sank gently below the water's cool surface. Thirty minutes later, he was seated in the barracks mess room, tucking into bread and soup, when his colleague, Abeline, strode up to him. It's gonna be next week, Abeline whispered, not looking at Amanda. The lady insists that she needs the information by the full moon. Elmander chewed thoughtfully. That could work, he eventually whispered back. I have leave to go back up north for a fortnight. Getting into Flay's office won't be a problem. But why does she want his bloody horse too? I cannot tell you, Abeline replied. I am not told such things. The fewer people who know her reasons, the better. Fine, said Elmander. But this is risky. I will need a distraction and lots of luck on my side. Tell her it will cost her an extra 200 for the horse. Otherwise, no deal. Abeline looked troubled. You shouldn't cross a lady friend. She has eyes and ears in many places and she has no tolerance for insubordination. Nonetheless, said Almanda. Those are my terms. If things go wrong, I'll be a wanted man, and Flay won't stop at nothing to have his revenge. This is danger money, see? Abeline sighed. Very well. I'll tell the lady. Prepare the plan and be ready to go in one week. Then he laughed loudly and slapped Elmander's back, <laughs> so that anyone watching would assume he had just told a bawdy joke. Elmander laughed back 
and returned to his meal. Behind the scenes. The party are about to embark on the next stage of their journey in the mysterious ruins of Caramund. But first, it's another auspicious day, as it is now Navi's turn to level up. The dwarf has been through a traumatic time in recent days, having narrowly escaped death at the jaws of the Draco Lizard. But his reprieve has only increased his fervour in the teachings of Gozan, the dwarven deity. Every spare moment in the following days, he has undertaken prayer and reflection, and his bond with his god is growing stronger. Now, Gazan has rewarded him by granting him the power of miracles. At level 2, clerics can pray for one of eight miracles each day, to be used once per day. Today, Navi has been infused with holy power, and has prayed for the miracle of cure light wounds, which means that once a day, he can heal 1d6 plus 1 hit points of damage for a fellow party member or NPC. On top of this, Navi also gets a hit point increase. His hit dice is a d6, and he gets a plus 1 bonus because of his high constitution of 14. Let's roll. 5. Plus 1 is 6. Navi goes from a max of 6 to 12 hit points although because he suffered 2 points of damage in the last fight, he is currently on 10. Still, that's a great improvement. Finally, as with Kilia, I'm going to roll for stat increases. On the roll of a 6, the stat will increase by 1. Navi has very low dexterity, so let's hope the past few days have helped him to limber up a bit. Strength 4. No change Dexterity, 3. Sadly, Navi is still as clumsy as ever. Constitution, 4. Intelligence, 3. No change here either. Wisdom, 6. Navi's wisdom rises to a 14. There's no extra bonus, but this does make sense given his renewed commitment to his cause. Charisma, 1. His charisma stays the same. We've also met two new NPCs, who are called Macus and Longo. These are both second level fighters. Macus is the younger of the two, at 24. He carries a spear and a dagger, and wears leather armour, giving him an armour class of 13. He has... 8 hit points. Let's roll his stats. Strength... 12. That's decent. Dexterity... 11. Constitution, 12. Intelligence, 8. He's not the brightest spark. Wisdom, 5. Wow, Marcus is going to be pretty headstrong and hot-headed. Charisma, 12. He makes up for this with a garrulous demeanour and a cheeky sense of humour. Longo is a couple of years older, at 26. He carries a short sword and a shield for an armour class of 14. He has 7 hit points. Let's roll Longo's stats. Strength, 12. Dexterity, 13. Constitution, 14. Longo is tough and burly. 
Intelligence. 16. He's surprisingly sharp and wily. Wisdom. 13. Charisma. 8. He's a bit dour and keeps his counsel unless absolutely necessary. We've started this episode with a lot of admin, so let's continue with the story. Day 5, late morning. Kilia, 7 of 7 hit points. Almanda, 6 of 8 hit points. Narvi, 10 of 12 hit points. Mara, 4 of 4 hit points. Spells available, read magic and shield. Narvi has prayed for cure light wounds. The party had got their belongings together. Their too short rest and respite was already at an end. Mara adjusted the strap on her pack gloomily, having snatched a precious hour studying her grimoire. She felt maddeningly close to a breakthrough, but the secret knowledge remained just out of reach. She looked up as Narvi approached her. He smiled at her beatifically. Greeting, Zhongling. Guzan has sent us a fine day for our quest. May we use his wisdom to crush these heathen enemies. Mara grunted noncommittally. Narvi had been acting differently in the last couple of days. He had a greater poise and an inner peace, and he almost seemed to glow with radiant light. Mara envied his certainty. Despite her innate knowledge of magic, she felt less certain about her role in life than ever. She craved her study and the college library, even the other students and their braying devotion to Kristen and his cronies. Being out in the wilderness, where danger and death lay around every corner, had seriously unnerved her, even though she was growing to appreciate the company of these more worldly adventurers. She also wished she had Kilia's cheekiness and initiative, and she even enjoyed Elmanda's dry cynicism. But she wanted to go home, wherever that was. The four of them had gathered in the small square in front of Reeve Denwald's hall. The door opened, and the Reeve strode out, limping slightly on his one good leg. He was followed by two young men. One was middle height and stocky, with long black hair that was styled in a similar way to the Reeves, although his moustaches were not nearly as impressive. The other was taller, thin and wiry, with shaggy red hair and stubble. The first carried a spear, and the second a short sword and shield, and both were armoured in leather, although given the motley nature of the militia, their jerkins had been cobbled together from various sources. The Reeve introduced the two as Maccus and Longo. They would accompany the party on their journey to the bandit hideout, and were tasked with protecting them as much as possible. It was left unsaid, but Mara had the feeling they were also there to ensure the party did not renege on their agreement. Elwyn also came to wish them farewell. He was still pale and slightly unsteady on his feet, his arm and shoulder heavily bandaged. Good luck, and I will say a prayer to whatever gods may be listening, he said, smiling through the pain. Thank you for your efforts so far. I hope it's not too late to save those poor people. He leaned in to ostensibly kiss Kilia on the cheek, and whilst doing so, whispered in her ear, I will get a message to the Grey Fellows. They will be made aware of your efforts over the last few days. 
I will do my best to get you a second chance. Kilia smiled in thanks, and Elwyn withdrew back to the shadows. Finally, Denmore embraced each of the party members. He grinned at them. Thank you, friends, he said gruffly, and wished them luck for the challenge ahead. Then he hobbled back to his hall, and the party turned to go, their hearts heavy at leaving their warm rooms and soft mattresses. A small crowd of onlookers, who had heard about the events of last night, waved them off at the east gate. Mara smiled as she noticed the woman she had led to safety. They waved back, and the little boy even blew her a kiss, which caused her to blush. The six walked for an hour through rocky heathland and thin patches of woodland, much less oppressive than the glowering shadow woods that could still be seen over the other side of the valley. This area of the provinces became ever more sparsely populated as it got closer to the realm's borders, and there were no more paved roads. Instead, they followed a narrow stony path that gradually petered out, until they were climbing up rough winding goat tracks that got ever steeper until they were faced with a great wall of rock in front of them. It comprised great twisted columns of rock that branched out at odd angles. As the path wound around in a curve, Mara gasped suddenly. From this particular viewpoint, the rock formation looked like a great ugly stone face with an open mouth, looking upwards slightly and baring its teeth to the sky. We call this the old man's bluff, said Nakus. None of us come up here very much. The old wives say it's the corpse of an old giant who got so big and lazy he forgot to move and he was turned to stone by the sun. They say it's haunted by all kinds of spirits. I can well believe it, muttered Amanda. But it makes sense for these bandit lads to hide out when no other bugger wants to go. He turned to Kilia. What does your map say then, Sneakling? How do we get in? Behind the scenes. So, as Almenda asked, what does the map tell the party? We'll get to that, but first we need to rewind a little. We know that Giona the Bard had mysteriously disappeared from Hollow Hill around the time of the fight with the bandits. The village militia also didn't turn up until the fight had finished, because the bell didn't ring in time. Are these two things related? I'll ask the GM emulator. As things have calmed down, I'll reduce the chaos factor to 5. So 50-50, is Giona in league with the bandits, and was she responsible for delaying the militia? 42. Yes, Giona is their spy. This complicates things. Ordinarily, I would roll for a wandering encounter on the party's journey to the bandit lair. However, as Giona has a head start, she may have been able to warn her accomplices of the party's approach. This means I'm essentially going to make it a 1 in 2 chance that the party will be ambushed. They are in a vulnerable position at the bottom of the cliff face, with plenty of cover for attackers to hide behind. On a d6, that's 1 to 3. 4. Luckily the party does not encounter any trouble at the old man's bluff. 
back to Kilia's attempts to find the hidden entrance. I'm going to make a roll on her open locks ability to find a secret door. As a level 2 thief, this is a 30% chance. If she succeeds, she will find the entrance, or at least one of the entrances to the bandit's lair. Let's roll. A 19! This is a success. Kilia has found it. Let's return to the party. Kilia crouched to her knees and began to scan the area indicated on the map. The others took their rest, whilst also remaining alert to any potential dangers. After around 10 minutes had passed, just as Armanda was getting restless, Kilia let out a shout of triumph from behind an outcrop of rock that formed the bridge of the giant's nose. They hurried to her and saw what she had found. Gingerly pulling back a rough section of bracken bristling with thorns, Kilia excitedly showed them a flat patch of sandy earth. Brushing it away, she gradually began to reveal a square stone slab, about two feet wide. This is it, she whispered with glee. The entrance! The map was right! All well and good, said Almanda. But how do we open it? There's no handle or lock! Narvi was watching thoughtfully. Then he knelt and helped Kilia dig out an ingrained area of sand from the centre. There was no handle, but gradually four rows of runic symbols appeared. You are right, young Kilia, said Narvi. This is indeed an entrance. This language is old dwarven, many centuries old. What does it say? asked Mara, chiding herself for not having dwarvish amongst her many languages. I... it's hard to say, Narvi frowned. I need a closer look. Behind the scenes. So the entrance is inscribed with dwarvish runes. Ostensibly, Narvi should be able to read these easily. However, as this is from a much older variant of his language, I am going to rule that he needs to pass a wisdom check in order to read it. I will give Narvi a plus one bonus, as he is a dwarf. He also has a higher wisdom score of 14, which gives him another plus one bonus. This means that according to the basic fantasy rules, he needs a 14 or more at level 2 to succeed. Let's roll. 19. With a bonus, that's 21 easily enough. So let's return to the action. It's difficult, said Narvi. It's an old dialect, and I'm not familiar with it. But I think it says... Welcome, seeker of the secret place. To those who bear friendship's crest, speak the words, the codes, the quest, and you shall find our hidden nest. What in the old god's name does that mean? said Amanda. I hate riddles. Narvi was silent for a few seconds, but then he laughed. <laughs> it's there, in plain sight. What is? asked Elmanda impatiently. Navi stood up and spoke loudly. Zadunar, Zaragint, Abelnad, 
Almost immediately, a crack appeared around the edges of the stone slab, and it rose a few inches from the ground. What did you say? asked Mara. I said, the words, the codes, the quest, just as the riddle asked me to, said the dwarf, smiling. Well, we have our way in. Let us go. Thank you for listening to stories from the First Watch. Returning as Reeve Denwald was Simon J. Williams from the amazing Legend of the Bones podcast. And voicing Abilene was Nathan David. The party have found the entrance to the bandit's lair and are about to begin their first dungeon crawl. They don't know what they will find, only that there will be great danger and peril on the way. To find out what happens to them, join me next time on Stories from the First Watch. school RPGs? Do you love stories of sword and sorcery? Are you tired of the typical actual plays and long unedited podcasts? Then look no further than Legends from the Fireside, a hybrid storytelling RPG podcast, a podcast filled with tales of adventure and heroism, all at the mercy of the roll of the dice. There's no telling where the story will go and where we will end up. No life is sacred and no one's survival is guaranteed. You can find the show on all major podcast platforms and we hope you enjoy Legends from the Fireside.